Actually, it's time for um, our kids, four to seven year, four year old through seven year olds, to go to Redeemer Kids. If you want to do that, now's the time. Hey, uh, Jamie, what what are what are uh, what are the kids learning about today? Genesis one. Okay, so they're going to be learning about creation and all that. Great. Hey, let's let's just pray for our kids while they get ready to go learn. Okay. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for our children. Uh, they are a gift from you, and we're grateful. Father, I pray for um, our, our workers today in Redeemer Kids. I pray you'll prepare them to teach our children, and I pray our children will learn from your word about your work and act in creating. Um, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, well, um, I'm going to make a couple suggestions before we get started. Uh, with the message this morning, um, one suggestion is I'm going to suggest that you get your Bible out and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at um, a few verses. You know what? Uh, it's, it's summer at the IMC, so I predict I'll need this. Okay. Is that going to be distracting to anyone? Too bad. Because me covered in sweat will be more distracting, I promise. Yeah, so that's one suggestion, is you get your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses uh, about 3 through 7. But we're also going to look at several other texts this morning, because the message is, why do we study doctrine? That's the the topic for the message this morning. The other suggestion I'm going to make is that you take some notes, because... When we look at those selected texts, man, we're just gonna, there's not going to be time for you to turn to them and write them down, oh, turn to them and read them. You're probably going to just write the reference down, okay? So that's why I'm suggesting that you also are going to want to take some notes um, this morning. So why do we study doctrine? That's a really good question, I think. I mean, is it because Caleb and Chet and I all graduated from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and therefore we feel like we've got to get our money's worth out of those Masters of Divinity degrees, and so we're going to teach doctrine here at Redeemer Church. I mean, is that the reason? Is it, is it because we, we are a church in a university town that values, you know, uh, academia and intellectual exercise, and therefore we're going to very academically um, Inter, uh, exercise our intellect in the study of doctrine? Is, is, it, is it because we are, uh, you know, Piper reading, T4G attending, molar listening Calvinists? Okay? Is, it, is that the reason why we study doctrine at Redeemer Church? Well, I hope you know that the answer, those answers are no. That, that's, those are not the reasons. It, it's not an academic intellectual ac- exercise. It, it, it's not just because it's pragmatic to do so or it fits our context. And it's not out of pride or, or uh, arrogance on our part or any, any of our parts that we do that. We, I'm not saying that others have never studied doctrine. I'm not saying that in some places doctrine hasn't been emphasized for those reasons. In fact, I've probably seen some instances, and if I'm going to be like completely honest about myself, there have been times that I've emphasized doctrine with people out of a sense of superiority or pride or look what I know. 
But, you know, God forbid that ever be the reason here that we, um, that we study doctrine. No. Um, it, and then, of course, there's another reality. There are some who, out of fear or out of ignorance or perhaps out of pride, um, de-emphasize doctrine or relegate it as unimportant or even vilify it. There's some who would say Christ unites, doctrine divides. So they, they will say doctrine is, is the villain of unity. Some, because it's difficult or not popular, will just say, they'll just de-emphasize. Just not, hey, you know, let's just talk about how to make your life better. Let's just talk about that and not worry about doctrine right now. Or just say, it, it, it doesn't matter. Doctrine doesn't matter. It's not important. You know, the virgin birth, we don't have to debate about that because it's just not important. There's some who would say that, and sometimes that's out of fear, sometimes it's out of ignorance, sometimes it's out of pride. Well, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, I think, begins to open our eyes to why we study doctrine. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, the Lord says, Let not the strong man boast in his might, or the rich man in his wealth, or the wise man in his wisdom, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me, that I am the God who executes kindness and justice on the earth, for in these I delight. Did you catch that? Okay, if we're going to boast, if there's room for boasting, it's in, believe it or not, doctrine. That's from the word, from the mouth of the Lord. Those who Know me and understand my ways. Guys, that's what doctrine is. That word doctrine, the word doctrine means teachings. Okay? But when we're referring to Christian doctrine, we need to understand. It's, it's the collection of teachings from the Bible. So in other words, it's the truth about God. That's essentially what Doctrine is, it's the truth about God. So it's what we know and understand about Him by Him. Okay, because the Bible, God's Word, is God's revelation of Himself to us, and it's from Him and by Him, okay? And so that truth, the teachings of that truth, this you know, the system and collection of teachings concerning the truth about God from His Word, that is what doctrine is. And so the reality is sound doctrine is essential, crucial in the life of the individual believer and in the life of the church. So, why do we study doctrine? Because I Really, at this point, I've just told you why we, you know, the reasons that we don't study doctrine. And I've told you that some don't study doctrine. But why do we? Well, let's look at God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. 
As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things with which they make confident assertions. So why do we study doctrine? Well, look at what it says in verse 4. Uh, particularly the st- stewardship from God that is by faith. You know, that might seem to be kind of a perplexing um, statement. What is the stewardship from God by faith? Well, stewardship is simply the management of another's resources. So, so... Sometimes in church life, we talk about stewardship as, okay, yeah, all money is God's money. All resources are God's resources, and he's entrusted some of that to us, okay, because we have jobs and we have income and we, you know, rent apartments and buy houses and, and sell houses and, and, uh, and work your entire vacation away getting your house ready to sell, but I'm not bitter. Um, uh, just, just... In pain. Uh, Yeah, but all that's God's, right? And so we understand the way that we, as God entrusts that to us, we manage it. And that's stewardship. But here, the stewardship from God that is by faith. Think about it. This whole, the context of everything Paul is saying to Timothy, and let me just kind of set a little bit of the historical context for you. You know, Timothy is being uh, mentored, discipled. By Paul, and Paul on a missionary journey establishes a church in Ephesus. He plants a church in Ephesus, and he leaves Timothy there to oversee that church. And now this is Paul giving Timothy some extra instruction, some further uh, mentoring about how to lead and oversee the church in Ephesus. And right away, Paul tells Timothy, okay, stop these guys from teaching falsely. Charge certain persons not to teach a different doctrine, or in other words, false doctrine. Doctrine which is not sound and which is, which is not in keeping with the truth. He says, instead, devote themselves to the stewardship from God that is by faith. Guys, that, that little phrase, Paul is talking about sound doctrine. That's, that's what Paul is talking about, the stewardship from God by faith is that truth about God which God has revealed Himself that we understand by faith. That, that's what Paul is talking about. It's sound doctrine, good doctrine, truth. That's what he's talking about and that's that stewardship that is from God, that is by faith. And here's the deal. We study doctrine to know God, because that's the way we know God. We know Him because of sound doctrine. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, 
my ways are not your ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. Have you heard that? You've heard those verses before? Do those encourage you? Because they're actually scary. Because here's what those two verses say about God and about us. That we cannot know Him. That's, that's what they say. All things being equal, God's ways and God's thoughts are infinitely higher than our ways and our thoughts. Therefore, we cannot know Him. God is unknowable to you and I. Unless He reveal Himself to us. And God has revealed Himself to us in His Word. So, God's Word is the truth about God so that we can know Him. That stewardship from God that we receive by faith, that's the truth contained in God's Word about God, which is from God, so that we can know God. That, that's, that's why we study doctrine, so that we can know Him and understand His ways, so that we can have relationship with Him, so that we can be united with Him. Because apart from God's revelation of Himself, then we, we don't really know Him. Not, not, not in a way in which we can experience relationship and salvation. I mean, yes, Romans 1 reminds us that God's invisible qualities, His divine nature, His eternal power are understood by what He has made, which, by the way, is also revelation. Okay, So even in creating... Even in creating, God is revealing something about Himself. But, but just that general revelation of creation, <clears throat> that's not enough for us to know God. It might be enough for us to know that He exists, but to know Him and to understand His ways, that's impossible without God revealing Himself. And that revelation, as we study it and understand it and teach it, that is doctrine. Guys, this is not an understatement. Without sound doctrine, there is no knowing God. Because if there's no sound doctrine, it's just, hey, whatever you think about this God must be true. Go with that. How's that worked? How, how has that worked in human history? Not so well, right? I mean, you know, it's led, you know. Led to human sacrifice, uh, cults just built all around uh, sex, okay, sexual cults, uh, worship, you know, shrine prostitutes, and you know, I mean, it's, oh uh, gosh, uh, hey, it's, uh, it hadn't worked out too well. It's led to all kinds of abomination. The only word I can think of. It's, it, it hasn't worked for man to decide for himself what God is like. To decide the God they would like to know. That just hasn't worked. You know, as, as Chet is often, uh, often says, 
Um, it's, you know, saying, this world is mine and I'm God of it. That, that's essentially what happens. That, that's what happens when there is no sound doctrine, when there is no truth about God that is consistently taught and understood and received by faith. Men and women decide, hey, well, this world is mine and I'm God of it and I'll create a God in my own image that I feel comfortable worshiping. And that's the God I want to know. But we study doctrine, the truth about God from His Word, in His Word, so that we might know Him, know the one true God. Not the God of our own making, not the God of our own imagination, or the God of somebody else's imagination, but that we might know the one true God. I, I wonder... Um, this morning, if there are some of you who are here and saying, maybe you're even thinking, gosh, you know, wish we didn't put so much emphasis on doctrine all of the time. Or like, I wonder why we do that. I mean, I hope your eyes are opened this morning that the reason we do that is so that we might know God. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes, sometimes in the study and the pursuit of doctrine, as Flawed, fallen humans, we, we, we do that from selfish motive. Sometimes we do that out of a sinful motive. Sometimes we just don't get it right. Okay? But, ultimately, the reason that we study doctrine is so that we might know God. So here's another thing I want you to know. When, when I stand up here, or Chet stands up here, or Caleb stands up here, and we preach and we proclaim God's word, and, and we do that in the context of doctrinal statements about God and about salvation, it's so that you'll know God. Okay? It's, it's not so that You'll think we're smart. It's not so that you'll say, gosh, I want to go to the seminary that they went to. That's not the reason. Okay, it's not. Um, and here's the danger. If you think that, and then let me know you think that, I might start believing it. I don't want to believe that. I don't want that to be the to be true, what I want to be true, what I know to be true is that we study doctrine to know God. And as a shepherd at Redeemer Church, my desire and my job, my responsibility is to shepherd you towards knowing God. And the, 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 the shepherd staff we have for that is doctrine. The, the teaching of the truth about God from His Word. That's the shepherd's crook, the shepherd's staff that we have for shepherding you towards knowing God. So, why do we study doctrine? It's, it's to know God. But, it's also because the New Testament puts a high priority on sound doctrine. Okay, and man, there's a bunch of verses there. I'm just going to read those. Okay, so you just listen, write down the references if you need to. But here's just a collection. 
not the exhaustive collection, but a collection of verses from the New Testament that point us toward this high priority on sound doctrine. Um, 1 Timothy 1.4, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourselves and your hearers. 1 Timothy 6. Two through four, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Second Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Second, and then uh, Titus 1.9, an elder must... Hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And then Titus 2.1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Those are some verses, individual verses that I could pull out, that we could pull out that, that put an emphasis on sound doctrine. But also... I think we need to consider some just themes in the New Testament. Think about some of the writings of Paul. In fact, um, th th this was great because this came up in a conversation this morning at, um, after we set up before our prayer time. Okay, And I was talking uh, with Josh Howell and, and, and Kyle McKay and Keith Sparrow. And we were talking about the preaching lab that's coming up now. That, that starts now. And, uh, and I was asking those guys, you know, what passage of Scripture they, they lean towards. And Josh mentioned Galatians. And he mentioned how, you know, the first part of Galatians just talks about what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. And then that's true. It does. And the, last, the second part of Galatians talks about then how to live that out. You know, Paul often structures his letters that way. He begins with doctrine teaches doctrine, and then talks about sound living. So here's what the New Testament teaches us, that sound doctrine is necessary for sound living. Therefore, we must have sound doctrine. Romans, think about how Romans 1 through 11 is very doctrinally oriented, and 12 through 16 is application of doctrine. It's sound living. So 1 through 11, sound doctrine. 12 through 16, sound uh, living. And then, of course, Galatians, you know, 1 through 4, doctrine, what the gospel is, what the gospel isn't. 5 and 6, how to live that out. Ephesians 1 through 3, sound doctrine. 4 through 6, how to live out sound doctrine, the gospel, how to live out the gospel. Colossians 1 and 2, same thing, doctrine. Colossians 3 and 4, living, orthodoxy, orthopraxy. Okay, the, those are, that's the structure often for Paul in his writings. So again, not just in the individual passages of Scripture in the New Testament that promote or place this high priority on doctrine, but also in the structure of much of the writing of the New Testament, we have an emphasis on doctrine followed by an emphasis on living, right 
believing right living, right thinking, right living. And then another reason, another way in which the New Testament puts this high priority on doctrine and why doctrine is ultimately crucial, it's because the gospel is doctrine. God, man, Christ, response. Okay? All of those are doctrines. God. The gospel begins with God. Guess what? The doctrine of the attributes of God. The character of God. Okay? That, that's doctrine. Okay? Those are doctrines. Man. Do you know there's doctrine of man, like like the doctrine of sin? That's closely connected to the doctrine of man, because you can't have man without sin, you know? I mean, that, that there's just Jesus and then everybody else, okay? All right, so, and then man's condition before God and his need before God, because of God, man, Christ, you think, you think there's some doctrine about Christ? Yeah, absolutely. There's the, the person of Christ. There's the work of Christ. The doctrine of salvation. Okay, you know, this, this salvation by faith alone in Christ because of Christ's substitutionary atonement and resurrection. You know, like, oh, so the, the gospel is doctrine. I, I hope you see that in a response. The doctrine of repentance and faith. Okay? That's the response to the, so we got God, man, Christ response, the gospel, and it's all doctrine. The gospel is doctrine. And if we don't have sound doctrine, we don't have the gospel. Okay, so God, we, we teach and study sound doctrine because the gospel is Doctrine, and we as the church are to be a gospel-centered people, right? If we are a gospel-centered people, then guess what? We will be a doctrine-centered people because the gospel is doctrine. That made me sweat. <laughs> Y'all get that, right? That the gospel is doctrine? If anybody doubts that, come see me after. So, why do we study doctrine? Well, to know God. I mean, He reveals Himself through His Word. We understand that revelation and we know God. And that's doctrine. Doc we study doctrine to do that. And then the New Testament puts a high priority on sound doctrine. To other words, God's Word tells us to study doctrine. It emphasizes sound doctrine. But also, we study doctrine because sound doctrine is essential for church health. Sound doctrine is essential for church health. Redeemer Church will not be a healthy church if it has no sound doctrine. No church will be a healthy church without sound doctrine. How? How do we see that? Well, let's start with something like, oh, the existence of the church. 
the existence of the church. In, in the language of the New Testament, in Greek, the word for church is ekklesia, right? Have you heard that before? Anybody know what it means? Hmm? What does it mean? Assembly, gathering, okay, of what? So first of all, if it's a gathering or an assembly, then it's not a building, right? It's not a building, and it's not even an organization. It's a people. It's a people, right? So which people is it? God's people. Yes, it's those who have been called out by God through Christ for the gospel. How's that? For ecclesia, for this assembly, this gathering. These who have been called out by God through Christ for the gospel. Is there any doctrine in that? It's all doctrine, right? I mean, God, again, we know God because of doctrine. And if the church are those who are called out by God, then we've got, to be, we've got to know the one who's called us out, right? And then if God's called us out, called the church out through Christ, through the person and work and, and the given response to Christ, the response of repentance and faith, and then we've got to know how we got there, right? We're called out by God through Christ. And apart from doctrine, we don't know Christ. We, we, don't, we don't know what He's done, what it means, and how we are to respond. Without doctrine, we don't know that. So, without doctrine, we don't know the one who's called us out. We don't know how we got there and the gospel. I'm going to see if you've been listening. Is the gospel doctrine? Yes. Yes, it is. So then, we don't know what we're called out for. So if there is no sound doctrine, we don't know the one who called us out, we don't know how we got there, and we don't know what for. Does that sound like a viable church to you? I hope you say no. No, it sounds horrible. It's a bunch of people who don't know anything, don't know how they got there, and don't know what it's for. Basically, ignorance. That's without doctrine, the church does not exist. No, the church must know the one who's called them out, God. They must know how they were called out through Christ. And they must know why they were called out for the gospel. You see, when there is that clear teaching of doctrine, then the church knows itself. The church knows itself. And she is able then to know how and why she exists. And she can fulfill her mission. And part of that mission is evangelism. Okay? So again, without sound doctrine, we don't really have evangelism, right? How would you define evangelism? Oh, come on, it's not that hard. Proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those 
who do not know him. Would you agree that's a pretty good definition of evangelism? Okay, all right, good. Do we need to review the, the, you know, when I'm preaching and I ask a question, I usually anticipate you to respond? Okay, great. So, yes, now, what good news? The gospel. Is the gospel doctrine? Yes. Do you see? Yes. So even evangelism, if we don't know or agree on what the gospel is, how can we proclaim it? How how can we proclaim the gospel if there's no agreement on what the gospel is? Right? And all the doctrines pertaining to the gospel. You know, we mentioned some of them, you know, but you've got the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the Trinity, okay? You know, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of Christ, this <clears throat> atonement, the resurrection, faith, e- even the doctrine of <coughs> excuse me, the word of God, the doctrine of the scriptures. You know, we understand the that the Bible is inerrant. It is without error. Okay, that itself impacts the gospel. Let me just show a couple of ways in which these things work out. Even like just the doctrine of God, his attributes. If we don't have clear, complete, sound understanding of the doctrine of God, doctrine of his attributes, the gospel can get messed up. The gospel can become perverted. Okay. For example, if there is an overemphasis on the love of God and an underemphasis, a minimization of the justice of God, then here's what we end up with. Love wins. That's what we end up with. We end up with a theology that says, no, God will not ultimately send people to hell for eternity. They'll get a chance. To make the right decision after experiencing a little bit of hell. There's no... God's word clearly says that those who reject Christ will experience hell for eternity. Okay? Clearly communicated in the scriptures, but because there's this overemphasis on the love of God and an underemphasis on the justice of God, combined with then doubting the inerrancy of the scripture, you come up with... A theology like that, which gets proclaimed as gospel, or maybe go a little further and co- go to some kind of pluralistic gospel, where, where okay, here's the deal. Um, because God is so gracious and loving, there are many ways to Him. And I'll tell you my way, which is through Jesus, but if you have another way that you're faithful to, you're good. You're fine. It's pluralism. But that's no gospel. That's a perversion. But yet, again, a an unsound doctrine of the Word of God, a false teaching on the Word of God, then can lead to a perversion of the gospel. Now, here's the deal. When the gospel gets perverted, guess what happens? Instead of, instead of evangelism... Now the opposite is happening. The church or individuals become false teachers. When there is no sound doctrine, 
we go from proclaiming the good news of Christ to those who need to hear to propagating a lie that gives false hope and ultimately ends in destruction. There's, and, and you know what? There's no in between. If our gospel is perverted, it will not lead people to eternal life. It'll, it'll lead them to destruction. For there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads only to destruction. That's why sound doctrine impacts, drives, defines really for us our evangelism as a church. And there's something that I'm not sure you caught here. Sound doctrine is essential for church health. And then evangelism is there. What does that say about a healthy church? Yeah, a healthy church is evangelistic. Just throw that in there. But also for our discipleship. Sound doctrine is essential for our discipleship. Again, what is discipleship? What's that about? Right. It's proclaiming the good news of Christ to those who know Him. Right? So that they will continue to learn and follow Him. Right? Okay, so, if we don't have sound doctrine, what's going to happen? Well, we're not going to be proclaiming the good news to those who already know Him. We'll be proclaiming a lie. Okay? And there will be no discipleship. It will just simply be everyone... Thinking and believing what they want to think or believe. If there is no sound doctrine. Our discipleship wrecks. <laughs> it becomes discipleship wreck. Okay? That, that's what it, it becomes. Discipleship wreck if there is no sound doctrine. Because sound doctrine is essential for discipleship. You know, if I'm proclaiming the good news of the gospel to you because you already know Christ, then that will... Encourage you to grow. Your li- you will experience life change, true transformation, because the gospel will continue to transform you. If I am proclaiming it to you faithfully, if others are proclaiming it to you faithfully in your community group and in your life transformation group and in discipling one-on-one relationships, if someone's proclaiming the gospel to you, then you will experience gospel transformation. And here's what I want you to know. There's only one kind of transformation. It's gospel transformation. Anything else is not transformation. It might be short-term change, okay, that you've worked up in yourself, you know, okay? But it's not gospel transformation because gospel transformation is this changes from the inside out. Anything out, anything else changes just the outside. And that's not true transformation. Sound doctrine is essential, absolutely essential for our discipleship. It's also essential for our unity. For our unity. The only real unity we have, 1 John, 2 John... 1 John 1, 2 John, verses like 10 and 11, or 10 through 12. I forget the reference. Okay. So, 2 John 10. I'm just going to say 10 and 11. I think it's 10 and 11. Okay. Correct me later if I'm wrong. 1 John 1. We have fellowship with one another, and, and our fellowship is with God. 
because we know the truth. Okay? It's, it's that truth, it's that sound doctrine that brings unity. The only really true unity we have. What is the unifying factor for the church? Is it their taste in music? No, absolutely not. Because I listen to the best music. I, I don't know what you all listen to, but it's not as good as my music. You know. No, it's not our taste in music. Is it our affinity for, you know, clothing? We all wear the same stuff. We all, same fashion? No, no. Is it, is it that we're all in the same place in life? Or we're all relatively the same age? No, no. None of those are the unifying factor for the church. What is the unifying factor for the church? Gospel, right on. It's the gospel. The gospel is the, that's what brings us together. That's what makes the church. Christ died in part to form, make, bring together a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. It's the gospel that brings us together. It's the gospel that, that we have in common. It's the gospel that our unity proclaims. Our unity proclaims the gospel because it's around the gospel and because of the gospel. And the gospel, as you know and are convinced, is doctrine. So without sound doctrine, we have no unity. Because there is no truth that binds us together, and there is no truth that our togetherness proclaims. And then, finally, sound doctrine is essential for our worship. In John chapter 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well that the worshipers that God is seeking are... the. the that are true worshipers, worship Him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. In other words, spirit and doctrine. Because doctrine is the truths that we understand from God's Word that we teach. Okay? That's what doctrine... So, without truth, we don't really worship. Because without truth, what we, what we are doing is we are having an ecstatic emotional experience. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that worship must be emotionless. No, there is definitely an emotional component in our worship. But it's not all that our worship is. In fact, if that's all our worship is, it's not worship. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to say it again, only louder. If that's all our worship is, it's not worship. Okay? Because there's no truth. It's truthless worship. And that's not worship at all. Jesus. Jesus says true worshipers are, wor are those who wor worship him in spirit and in truth. There must be a truth that we are proclaiming when we worship. There's truth about God. There's truth about us. There's truth about Christ. There's truth about our calling. All of that is what we 
proclaim when we gather for worship as a church, as a congregation. And if there is no sound doctrine, there is no truth, there is no worship. And so our worship is not emotionally driven, contentless, okay, without content. I mean, I know that there's probably some songs that we could sing here at Redeemer Church that make you feel better. And have no truth in them at all. Or even worse, have lies in them. Unsound doctrine. They might make you feel better. And you might, you know, might make you groove a little more. You know, tap your foot a little faster. But there's no content. There's no truth. So guess what? We're not going to sing those. Because worship happens in spirit and in truth. Therefore, we study doctrine because we want to know God. We study doctrine to know God. We study doctrine because essentially the New Testament tells us to. The New Testament prioritizes, emphasizes sound doctrine, guarding it, protecting it, preserving it, teaching it, so we'll do so. And then sound doctrine is essential for the health of the church. And our desire is that Redeemer Church would be a healthy church. You know, if that wasn't our desire, we should all go home and watch TV or something. Okay? Alright, seriously, if, if our desire is not to be a healthy church, why are we here? Okay, or go home and have a baby. Uh, for you guys. Yeah. Okay. And the very existence of the church is dependent on sound doctrine. Our evangelism is dependent on sound doctrine. Our discipleship is dependent on sound doctrine. Our unity is dependent on sound doctrine. Our worship is dependent on sound doctrine. If we're going to live in accordance with God's word, then we will study doctrine. If we're going to be a healthy church, we will study doctrine. If we're going to know God, we will study doctrine. This is the question that I'm going to ask that you don't have to answer out loud. But you better answer it. Just not right now out loud. So, what keeps you from studying doctrine? Do you want to know God? Do you want to live in accordance with God's word? Do you want to be part of a healthy church? What keeps you from studying, understanding the truth? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that your word is true. God, thank you that Jesus prayed that you would sanctify us with truth. Your word is truth. God, I, I can think of no better prayer than the prayer that Jesus prayed for us. God, would you sanctify us with truth? God, your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen.